differently. Um, Luke's been walking us through Genesis, uh, where we've been expositionally looking through uh, what God has to say through, uh, to us uh, through that book. Now, what we call that is expository preaching. And this is uh, the norm here at Carson Valley Bible Church because we can believe that the Word of God should be preached book by book, verse by verse, word by word, so that nothing is skipped over. So we go through the hard things. We go through the simple things so that we can in turn preach and teach the whole counsel of God. But we do hold in high regard every once in a while going to a topical sermon where we focus in on just a specific aspect of theology. And this morning, uh, I chose uh, the sufficiency of Scripture uh, as the focus this morning. And the title of this sermon is, All We Need, the Sufficiency of Scripture. So hopefully through uh, this morning's uh, exposition of Second Timothy, uh, we would find that the Scriptures are indeed enough for us. And my personal assessment of this Christian church at large, I would say that the one doctrine that suffers the most is our understanding, or honestly, sometimes the outright denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. See, there's a lot of times where we like to lean on our own understanding or the world's understanding of things in order to define what is right, what is true, and what is good for all of life. But the Word of God doesn't say so, as we will see. The Word of God says that Scripture alone is sufficient for all of faith, all of life, all of practice. So it encompasses and entails all aspects of our experience as human beings and also our experience as Christians. The Word of God is supposed to inject itself in every corner of society. Not just be left inside the walls of the church building or inside the walls of the Christian's homes as the world would like to keep it. Right? We hear it all the time, how ignorant Christians are, or how stupid Christianity is because we believe in old Bible, an old book that was written thousands of years ago. How could it possibly be relevant to today? How could it be relevant to the housewife, to the husband, the mother, the father, the CEO, the construction worker? Name it. And then God's Word, as we'll see, is sufficient for every single person of all cultures, of all people groups, all ethnicities, and at all times. And if only we could just honestly just dive into this truth and believe it ourselves as Christians uh, even more than we do. And I'll be honest and completely transparent, I'm speaking to my own heart. I need to know this more than I do and trust in it more than I do that Scripture is absolutely enough for me, my life, uh, until the Lord either comes again or calls me home. So I hope that what we see is not just an understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture, a belief in the sufficiency of Scripture, what we'll see is how prayerful and praiseful we should be in response to the understanding that God is not so holy other than us, but He actually stoops so low not to take upon our flesh on Himself in order to be made like us, to die for us, to live for us, but He also left His Word for us. He didn't leave us up to our own devices in order to figure out this life on our own. And we can praise God for that. So hopefully this just draws our hearts to just worship Him and thank Him this morning. Before we dive into the text, I'd like to just 
pray. I need help in taking God's Word and preaching it rightfully and truthfully and also sufficiently. So as I pray for all of our hearts, including my own, to hear and believe this truth, and just pray for me to uh, just be true to God's Word and let Him do the teaching. So if you would, bow your heads and let's pray. Father God, as people of Your Word, we know that this involves not leaning on our own understanding of what Your Word says, but what You reveal to us through that Word. So may we not be puffed up with knowledge about the Scriptures or about You, but may we just be put into a place of humility, knowing that everything we know about You is what You reveal to us through the illumination of Your Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. So God, we can't do this on our own. We need You. We need You to come through Your Word and write it on our hearts. And help us this morning to just be prayerful and praiseful and worship You because it is such a great thing that You would leave us with your word. This is where we can trust that even though you are invisible, even though we cannot see you, your word is enough and sufficient for us to know exactly who you are, how you care for us, how you provide for us, and how you made a way for us to be reconciled to yourself. So God, would you just teach us that this morning? Would you do as Paul exhorts Timothy to do and just reprove and correct us? Would you train us in righteousness? And would you just further sanctify us in the only way that you do? And that is through our understanding and belief and trust of you through your word and believing in the sufficiency of it for our lives. So God, we need your help in this. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So if you would, please turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now our focus this morning is to be on chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Uh, but I actually want to read, and you may not have this, and you don't, up on the screen. Uh, but look a little, little further uh, before 15. Let's go to verse 10. Uh, and a little bit beyond, we're going to go to uh, chapter 4, verse 5. I want us to get just a little bit of context to what Paul's saying because to interpret Scripture rightly, rightfully, we need to know the context in which it was spoken and written. In 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. But... As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from what you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Church, that is the Word of God to us this morning. Thanks be to God, indeed. You see, Paul writing to Timothy here is encouraging him by reminding him about the sufficiency of Scripture. Paul begins by speaking of his own discipleship of Timothy in verse 1, where he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And he's putting emphasis on there, which we'll see turns in verse 14, where he says, But continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have, and here's the point, been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. And then Paul gets to the main verse that we're focusing on that he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for, and here's the points that I'd like to expound upon for this sermon, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Paul is simply saying here to Timothy, I have been discipling you. You have followed my role model as a Christian, as a minister, but do not forget your foundation in not what I've taught you and not what you've seen through my life experience, but through what the Scriptures say. So Paul here is exhorting Timothy, Timothy, be grounded in the fact that Scriptures are enough. So for those of you who enjoy writing down points and sermons, I've made it a little easy. So I'd like to just expound on these points, which Paul elaborates on, and that is being wise for salvation. So Scripture is sufficient for making us wise for salvation. It is also sufficient for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and lastly, for training in righteousness. So it's these five topics that I will uh, hopefully uh, um, just walk us through. Now obviously this is not an exhaustive um, exposition of the sufficiency of Scripture. This is a large topic. There's a lot that we can talk about. We know that everybody's life experience is far different from another's. So there's so many things that we experience as human beings and also as Christians that the Scriptures speak to. So I can't elaborate on absolutely everything. But hopefully, my prayer is that we would just pull some principles, some guidelines to understand 
The scripture truly is enough and is all that we need. So how does scripture make us wise for salvation? And why is this sufficient for salvation? And I have one caveat before I begin explaining this, and that's this. Scripture is sufficient to make one wise for salvation, but Scripture is not necessary in order to convict one one of his sin and condemn them to an eternity of hell. So Scripture is not necessary to convict of sin. But the only way to salvation is through the Scriptures alone. You see, through creation and through conscience, we know what is right and we know what is wrong. But you see, only the Scriptures can describe to us the remedial aspect of Scripture. And that is the Gospel. The good news that we need to hear in order to make us right with God. In order to forgive us of our sin. I mean, Paul speaks so much in Romans and he's discussing this fact. Well, what about those people who did not hear the Word of God? What about them? Are they condemned too? Yeah. They are. Without hearing and believing the Word of God, there is no man that is saved or can be saved. This is what drives us to missions. This is what drives our preaching of the Gospel. Because nobody comes to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ without hearing about who He is. And where do we find who Christ is? Not through our assessment of creation. Through our looking and gazing at the mountains or at the beautiful sky. Or the universe that God has created in order to behold His glory. Those are all good things. And they tell us that He exists. They tell us that He is Good, they tell us that he is righteous, but they do not tell us who our Savior is. And that's where the scriptures come in. They are sufficient for making us wise for salvation. I'm sure some of you have heard that there are some distant cultures and peoples and people groups who have seen visions of Christ and supposedly have come to faith without hearing the preached Word, without reading a Bible, without knowing a single verse in Scripture or principle that it teaches in church, that is not the Spirit of God that they're seeing. That is not Christ they are seeing. We know this because Paul elaborates on it so much of just the necessity to preach the Word of God, to take this Word of God to all people so that they may hear about the Savior that they need. Now, can God save those whom His Word does not go to? Yeah, I believe He can. He absolutely has the power to do so. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too hard for Him to do. But He has clearly and succinctly told us in His Scripture His process of calling people through Himself. And that is through the foolishness of preaching, as Paul says. Even through fools. God calls people because we are not sharing our own words. We're not sharing our own understanding of Scripture. We're sharing the truth that God tells us through His Word. You see, all of Scripture points to Christ. Every single bit of it. And we should be praiseful. As I said earlier, and prayerful. Just how amazing of a God that we have that He didn't leave us to figure out salvation on our own. He told us simply and concisely and Perfectly and also, what? Sufficiently. That salvation is found through Christ alone. 
Let's just listen to Paul. And he explains in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 17, where he says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But as Isaiah says, they have not obeyed the gospel. It says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And Paul finishes in verse 17 by saying, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And church, that should give us all of the hope that we have for sharing the gospel with others. I think, and this is from my own experience, sometimes we take the world's account of what they believe about the Word of God and we try to convince others that they're, of their need for Christ and their need to be reconciled to a holy God, yet we remove ourselves from the Scriptures and think that we can logically deduce the need for a Savior without using the very Word of our Lord. Says that by him, through him, for him, all things are created. Christ is not only the one who is the agent of creation, he's also the agent of sustaining all things by the word of his power. So when we hear the word in the Bible, it's pointing to one person who is in himself the word of God, Jesus Christ. So, church, this should be of encouragement to us that we don't have to come to people and try and logically convince them through either theological or, sorry, theoretical expectations, losing my words here, through theoretical uh, thoughts or logical explanations. We, we don't go through science in order to prove that Jesus Christ is our Lord. We go to the Scriptures. They're enough. And if somebody says, that sounds stupid, to them it may. I think Paul elaborates and he says that, yeah. Yet to those who don't believe, it is absolute foolishness. But what is it to those who believe? It is the power of God. So church, take heart when you're sharing the gospel with your unsaved family members, your children, your parents, your cousins, your co-workers. Take heart that all they need to hear is the Word of God. Not your logical explanation of how this may work through your understanding of how the world works, what the world thinks, what the world standard of things. Share with them the Word of God. That is it. Tell them what the Word says, that all, as Paul says, who come to the knowledge and faith of Christ will be saved.
So God's people are to hear the word of Christ with Scripture, and it is sufficient alone in and of itself for making one wise for salvation. And since the canon of Scripture is complete and the final revolution, sorry, revelation of God was given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, as Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, it is enough and it is sufficient. Scripture is also sufficient for teaching, as Paul tells Timothy. And while there's plenty of books and teaching outside of the Bible that can be profitable and good for the Christian, none are to be elevated to the point of Scripture. None of them carry with them the authority of Scripture. They are not to be made equal with the Word of God. But what a fantastic thing we do have that men and women have throughout the ages written great books, preached great sermons about the truth of Scripture and of God, but nothing is to be elevated to the point of God's Word itself. You see, Scripture itself is sufficient for teaching us. These things sufficiently teach us about His character. They teach us about His attributes, and that is Scripture. Teach us about His interaction with His creation and creatures. And let's just stop and meditate on that for just a moment. As I stated earlier, what a tremendous blessing and fact that not only did God humiliate His own self, by taking upon our flesh in order to die for us, He left us a book so that we may know who He is. It's foolish to think that we have a God who is so holy, so other, that He does not care about us. If you've heard of Ligonier Ministries, it was created by the late, great Dr. R.C. Sproul. And his ministry was to teach people about God. In an interview, he once said, when somebody asked, R.C., what does the world need more than anything? And he said, they need to know God. So, of course, he follows up this question. and says, R.C., what does the church need more than anything? And he said the same answer. They need to know God. And this guy's baffled. Really? But we do know God. No, not enough. Not as much as we could, not as much as we should, because there's some aspects where we don't believe that God's Word is sufficient for us. We don't believe that all the time it is actually sufficient for teaching us about everything we need in our lives. So recently, and Ligonier Ministries does this every two years, they do a a theological assessment through a poll. And they ask Christians about simple doctrines, what they believe about them. Do you believe that Scripture is actually the true, inerrant, infallible Word of God? Do you believe that the only way to salvation is through Christ alone and by faith alone? And there's several questions they ask, but there's one that I just want to to highlight for us. And it's a simple question. This question was asked to thousands of Christians. Does God care about every little thing in your daily life? The majority of Christians said no. These are people who are professing believers of Christ who said no. God is holy God is perfect, yet He does not care about how I interact with people at work. He doesn't care about my finances. He doesn't care about my health. He doesn't care about my family. He's, just, he's got so much to deal with, with keeping the world where it is and the universe in order that He, can, he just can't possibly care about my life or every little thing in it. But Christian, that is not true. So if that is something that you believe, if you believe that God does not care about every little aspect of your life, repent from that. See, Scripture alone 
is enough for us to tell us that God cares about every aspect of our life. And although the Word of God doesn't speak specifically to every little situation that we find ourselves throughout our lives, principally it speaks to everything that we encounter as Christians and also as human beings. And it's enough. I think most of all, Scripture is sufficient for regulating worship. As Isaiah says, we were created for God's glory. Our purpose in creation is to glorify our Creator. We were made for His glory. We were made to worship Him. Yet, we believe that Scripture alone isn't sufficient for telling us how to worship Him. But I believe that Scripture does say so. You see, in John chapter 4, 23 through 24, Jesus himself says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is speaking such people, or seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So not only does God regulate how he is to be worshipped, he regulates who will worship him. Now we need to keep moving for the sake of time. Let's just go to Romans chapter 15, verse 4. You don't need to flip there. It's just a short verse. And Paul says there, For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. See, Scripture alone is sufficient for giving us hope. We are not left to our own devices to figure out this life on our own. The sufficiency of Scripture and what it teaches gives us hope of our assured salvation, of our future in the heavenly realm when we die, for all of eternity, when not only we are freed from the presence of sin, but we get to see God face to face. And what a hope we have set before us. And if you've read Paul, this is what keeps him going and running that race, is that hope that is set before him. I mean, here's words right here in 2 Corinthians verses, or chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, therefore, we, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient, or sorry, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the world cannot comprehend why our hope is set in something we cannot see, we know. Through the power and through the sufficiency of Scripture that God tells us that what is set before us, this hope that He has given us, the hope that He has told us about in His Word, is enough. And if we can set our eyes on that, that will provide all the hope necessary to sojourn as pilgrims on this earth, knowing that one day we will see Him face to face. Now the Christian life is one of suffering. A lot of times as Christians we want to look at the world's assessment of everything and the world believes that everything should be, really I have no better phrase for this, just sunshine and rainbows. Everything should be good. 
Look at all the self-help books out there. That you have the power in and of yourself of finding some sort of hope inside of you to have a great and fantastic life. I think we know through our own experience that that is so far from true. I think every day for the Christian in one sense is a life of suffering. Through experiencing death, through experiencing just hardship, through experiencing just how hard it is to stay obedient to God's Word, our struggle with fighting sin in and of itself is a sense of suffering. We look at this sin that we commit and we go, why? I know not to do it, but I do it anyways. And we suffer. But again, going back to the hope that Scripture alone is sufficient in giving us, although we suffer from broken hearts and minds, these are effects from the fall, we know that we have a hope set before us. So the world, we know, has a lot to say about mental health. I think we just had a month that they supposedly made the mental health month. I don't know, I think we've ran out of months by now for devoting them to certain things. But the world is really good at diagnosing all the problems that ail us. See, the American Psychiatric Association has what they call the DSM-5, or the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual. And what this is, is this book of over 300 different disorders that plague us as humanity uh, in our minds. From disorders like anorexia, bipolar disorder, anxiety, you name it. But the one thing that this book cannot do is provide a hope for any of that. See, what this book does concisely is it tells us that, wow, I think every single human being can check off one of these boxes of having some sort of mental disorder. But yet, not a single moment does it actually give us a remedy for it. I think this is why that book is so tied to pharmaceuticals. Now, although there is this good that God has given us through doctors, through medications and prescriptions, there are just some things that we have brought into the life of the Christian to assume the medication is the only way to fix it. But if that's the truth, when we've been cured, those things that ail us, that ail our minds by now, and this hits home. This hits home for me. Before I came to the Lord, I was a very anxious person. I suffered tremendously from it. But you know what? Through the Word of God and through the sufficiency that I've seen in it, I have seen through the words of Christ that we don't have to be anxious. If you just watch TV for just a minute, you'll see several different prescriptions that they'll give you to try and cure you of your anxiety. Yet, the benefits are far outweighed by all of the other things that come with it. I just want to read something. I know, again, this hits home for me and many of us here because I think this is just one of the things that every single human being gets to experience in one way, shape, or form. And this is where some of this suffering that I spoke of a few moments ago comes from, and that is just our anxiety, our worry for tomorrow, our worry for things that may or may not come. 
But our Lord, who is made like us, knows everything about us. See, in His humanity, He knows what we are to experience. He's felt it and experienced it firsthand. So when the disciples talked about anxiety, He has this to say. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow nor gather into barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you is being by anxious can add a single hour or day to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, which will he not more clothe you, O little faith? There do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, Paul, or sorry, Jesus himself is. I know I've used Paul a lot here, so let's <laughs> get a little mixed up. But Jesus himself here, and the way he words this is telling us, do not be anxious. He's not saying, find something else to cure it. He's not telling you to find some way outside of my words, outside of what God does for creation in order to find some sort of hope from anxiety. You see, there's a pre... Uh, a presupposition or an assumption that we have some way control over our own anxiety. And what God says is that His Word is sufficient for us. So Christian, if this is something that you ail from, I know how that feels. But the Word of God is sufficient for this. Because it provides us eternal hope to look forward to Yeah, the moments get tough, but as long as we keep our eyes focused on those things that are not seen, the hope set before us, and if we believe Paul's words, or actually God through Paul's words, if we want to be honest here, that this life is momentary. This affliction that we have is light. So therefore, I believe that God's all-sufficient word is enough for us. Now again, I only highlighted that one because that is one that I think God specifically speaks to. But principally, we can apply the truths of Scripture to all other things. Let's keep moving. I'm running out of time here. Let's look at reproof and let's look at correction. I think these two kind of go hand in hand. So when we look at reproofing, in actuality that word means to rebuke, to correct, to convince of error, conviction. I think there's an assumption sometimes here when we go to Scripture being sufficient for reproof and for correction, assuming that that's for everyone else outside of the church. But no, Paul is writing to a Christian minister and he's writing by extension to all Christians. 
that the reproof and the rebuke and the correction is not needed necessarily outside, but he's talking specifically inside of the church. And this is why I have to lament the fact, and I know some of you have probably experienced the same as I have. Sometimes talking about Christianity with other Christians is a lot harder than talking about Christianity with people who are not Christians. Just think of those people who have told you why they will not go to church and be a part of it. They tell you that the church is just filled with hypocrites. They can't even get along. Look at all the divisiveness. There's no unity. Now, although this is just an excuse, let's be honest, it's an excuse, but there's truth there. Why is it that there's so many denominations? Why is it that when it comes to the church, there are so many divisions? Why cannot or we cannot get along with each other? I think the world sees that and goes, what's the point of Christianity? What's the point of trying to be united if you guys can't even be united together? You're under the banner of one book and one Christ, yet you don't act like it. You see, Scripture alone is sufficient for that correction that we need, for that reproof, and for that telling us where to find truth. But yet what happens, and this is just our own intrinsic uh, rebellion against God. Let's be honest. God saves us from sin, but He does not save us from the presence of sin yet. Right? We still sin on a daily basis. We're still susceptible to pride and arrogance. And yet, although we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we should know what it means to be humble. Yet much of the time, Christians are the last of us in humanity to actually show humility. But the Scriptures alone are enough to sufficiently correct us and reprove us. Also sufficient enough in and of themselves to tell us the path of truth. You see, one foundational aspect of the interpretation of Scripture is that Scripture itself interprets itself. You see, the Bible wasn't written by an enigma machine. It's not something that has to be deciphered by people who are more holy or more learned or more skilled. It's simple enough for, even as Martin Luther put it, for the plowboy to understand That's why in the Reformation, there was such a goal by men like Tyndale and Luther and Calvin to get the Scriptures written so that every man, even that plowboy, could read the Word of God. That it wasn't made into some language where only certain people know, but the Bible in and of itself is so sufficient and so simple that that simple-minded man can understand. And what a... Glorious thing we can behold that again, going back to the holy otherness of God, that He left us a simple way to know who He is and what is true and what is right. And that even the simple-minded person who has not received a bit of theological education can just look at the Scriptures and find that path to truth. So church... May we believe in this this morning. May we trust in this. And may our own hearts, I'm talking about my own, may we just be humbled 
to be corrected where we need to be corrected. Because let's be honest, if we're not perfect, there is some way, some shape or form, we need to be reproved or corrected and let us humble ourselves. Let us find unity in the Scriptures and just contend for the truth, knowing that in and of themselves they are sufficient. Now lastly... Let's look at training in righteousness. And this is where we'll finish. Scripture alone is sufficient for training us in righteousness. Now what does that mean? That means that it provides all necessary instruction to live our lives to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. It says, So... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And although contextually Paul is explaining to the church in Corinth about food regulations, this verse is implying that all aspects of the Christian life are either to glorify God or not glorify God. So you don't get to do anything in your life and say, well, God doesn't really care about this. I don't need to care about glorifying Him in it. But that's contrary to what the Scriptures say. Paul says again, do all to the glory of God. So whether you're a homemaker, or a father, or a construction worker, a soldier, a CEO, you name the culture, you name the profession, you name the circumstance and the type of person, their job as a creation of God is to glorify God in all that they do. But how? Well, the Scriptures are sufficient in teaching us how to. And that's where we meet this direct application to all types of people. In all walks of life, in all myriads of different cultures, in all sorts of profession, and the Word of God is sufficient to speak to every single aspect and area. See, there's this uh, false understanding I think we have in Christianity that worship is either just isolated to a Sunday morning or inside the car when you're singing along with Caleb. That I'm just going to worship right now on my way to work. Or I'm going to church to worship because I haven't for the rest of the week. But again, going back to being able to do all that we do to the glory of God, every aspect of our lives is some way, shape, or form a form of worship of God. And all of the instruction, all of the teaching necessary to live our lives to the glory of Him and to the praise of His name, the Bible is sufficient to teach us. And I'm just on a roll with Paul, so I think, uh, I think I'm going to finish here. I'm going to finish in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, 12. You don't need to turn there again. I'll just read it for us this morning. Let us just, uh, here's uh, God's word. Uh, through the pen of Paul. And Paul says this, that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through what? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For all of these qualities, or sorry, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, through you, uh, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And we can come to the conclusion that through the inspiration of Paul, that he has a specific emphasis on knowledge of our Savior. You see, knowledge is a key aspect of the Christian life. And going back to what I said, although the necessary need for a Savior is not concluded by logical deduction, it's still a logical faith that we believe in. It's still logical to believe and understand that the Scripture tells us all that we need to do to glorify God in all that we do. To love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't need to run to the next book or to the next teacher to find some way to figure out how to sojourn God's creation and how to just learn the next best thing, to be honest. But look at all these books and these self-help books. A lot of them are fads. It goes from one thing to another. But church, I want us to just respond this morning to God and worship, knowing that, again, He didn't leave us to our own devices to figure this out on our own. Through His Scriptures, He gives us everything necessary to glorify Him in all that we do. So church, I need to hear this more than anyone. Because I know that I don't apply this enough to my own life. The Scriptures are absolutely sufficient for all things. For life, for godliness, for practice. There are times when I find in my life that I feel like I have all that I need in and of myself to get through something. You see, this goes back to the d- discipline of God. The discipline of God that we see in Hebrews chapter 12. That God disciplines us. He reproves us. He corrects us. And church, let us submit to that knowing that that is good. And if you do not think that you're a Christian... These same things apply to you as well. Though before God aids you in your life, you must come to Him. You must cast your burdens on Him. Repent from your sin. Turn to Him. Believe that the Scriptures mean what they say. Take God at His Word who sent His Son to die for you. To live for you. To resurrect for you. And is now seated at the right hand of God for you. Interceding for you. Come to Him. Don't take my word for it. Take the scriptures, because they're enough. So church, may we just praise and thanks God this morning that 
They are sufficient for us. And let us just conclude by trusting that the psalmist is absolutely correct when he says in Psalm 119, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's pray. God, we are a fickle people that even though we know truth itself through the personal work of Jesus Christ, we honestly deny it every day in some way, shape, or form. God, 